This is the Savvy Parent Podcast, where lawyer and financial planning expert Shannon McNulty and her guests share tips on how to make smart legal and financial decisions for your family. On this episode of the Savvy Parent Podcast, Shannon talks about what parents need to know about their estate plans beyond their legal documents, because without a few final pieces, those legal documents actually are not a complete plan. From lists to letters, Shannon discusses the other items you want to create in order to have a solid and complete estate plan. Enjoy the episode. Well, Shannon, I'm excited to be back with you on the podcast. How are you today? So great to be back, Sarah. All right. So we are talking about beyond your legal documents. Now, as a lawyer at a high level, let's start with what does that mean to you? Sure. So when we do estate planning, we've covered estate planning in many of our episodes. Part of this, and a lot of people think of it as your legal documents, your will, your power of attorney, you go to a lawyer, you get a set of documents, and then you have your estate plan. And that's a great start, but it's not, I don't think of it as actually an estate plan. It's a set of documents um, that is part of your estate plan, but your entire estate plan requires more than just a set of legal documents. It has to make sure that other things beyond those documents are in place so that the whole thing operates as it's supposed to, if, you know, God forbid that this has to go into effect. That's good to know, because I think you're right. We think of, we need to check these documents off the list and we get them done and then it's done. But that's not the entire puzzle, essentially. So I'm glad we're talking about this today. Now let's get into some specifics. We've talked about a will and how that specifies where some of your assets go, but there can be an issue with something called unclaimed assets. So can you start off with helping us understand how we make sure that all of our assets are handled in the way that we intend for them to be handled? Sure. You know, when we do a set of legal documents and and often the lawyer does the set of legal documents, they might not even know all of the assets that you have. That set of documents, whether it's a will or a trust, doesn't include all of the assets that you have. And usually it doesn't for specific reasons. For example, a will is publicly filed. So you don't necessarily want that you have, you know, the two carat diamond ring. And and so, um, so often deliberately those things are left out. But the problem is that if somebody passes away, all of the knowledge of where their things are at, what they have goes with them. And so somebody who's left trying to figure this out has legal documents that says where things go, but they don't know what actually is there to go anywhere. So um, it's really important to make sure that there is somebody has a list of assets of all everything that you own, um, all of your life insurance policies, your retirement accounts. Um, any kind of financial accounts, as well as any tangible like personal items that may be valuable. So for example, like a piece of jewelry that that's valuable, or a piece of artwork that's valuable, it's really important that somebody know what is there so that nothing gets inadvertently thrown out or just doesn't get collected at all. And I think what you had mentioned in terms of the unclaimed funds, it's something that every state has um, at the state level. And that's where sort of the land of misfits for... (laughs) (laughs) The land of lost toys and unclaimed rings and money. (laughs) Yeah, 
Yeah, the land of lost assets where it, this there's a bank account. Nobody knew it was there. And so at some point, the bank realizes that this didn't get claimed because they start getting maybe a a return address or, you know, return to sender or or something. And so when that happens and they can't reach you, then it goes to the state and the state doesn't take the money, but they hold it for the intended heirs. So all of those things. And and I think there's... um, I don't know how many billions of dollars in New York unclaimed funds that people just never knew that was there. And so they just stay in this unclaimed funds and it's not there. And so that can be a real problem if there's, say, a life insurance policy or something like that that's really intended to benefit your family. And it's not helping anyone when it's just sitting there with the state. Right. Yeah. You have these assets. You want them to be sort of delivered to the appropriate people and, you know, to go where you intend for them to go. So essentially what you're saying is you declare your assets in your documentation, but then you've got this list that might clarify a little more specifically. So instead of your will saying jewelry, this might list, you know, I'm going to go big here, my 10 carat yellow diamond ring and my, you know, big sapphire necklace. Um, I'm listing what they are. Would it also be clarified there who, who they're going to, or is that specified in the will? Um, that would be specified in the will. So often when we have young kids, everything goes to the kids and we just say divide it equally. If they're young, we don't even know, you know, if we're going to have more kids, maybe, you know, we, who who the ring is going to go to. Um, so in that case, we would just say kind of it goes equally to the children um, and hopefully they can decide among themselves when they get old enough who gets what. Okay. That would be a whole other episode. <laughs> dividing my my 10 carat yellow diamond ring between my children. But I digress. Let's get back to it. So um, we're talking about assets. Now, um, we're in an age with a lot of digital assets. Can you share what these actually are and then how to approach these in terms of this plan of beyond our legal documents? Sure. So these fall into a couple of different categories. Um, first of all, we have our hardware. So anything like a sort of tangible digital assets, which is, I don't know if you would consider digital assets, but they're, they're computer assets that are um, your, your laptop, your computer, uh, your phone, all of those things uh, would be things that I, I guess I would think of as they don't really have much value if you can't access them. Right. So even though you leave your laptop and your will to, you know, your, your brother, Bobby, if Bobby can't, doesn't know the password to it, it's basically just a piece of metal. Right. So, um, so that's where, you know, in addition to where things go, we also have to put in how do we access these things? So they can be hardware, like I said, your phone, your computer. They can also be um, more ephemeral assets like a, a website or photo sharing apps. So so your photos that are on the cloud often, or maybe they're just on the hard drive on your phone or your computer, those things, if we don't have some way to access them, then they are basically don't exist and they can't be passed on. And this is an area where the law hasn't exactly kept up with the technology. So even if you have perfect legal documents, that doesn't necessarily allow the trustee, the power of attorney, the executor 
to access to go into your computer and access it or to sign into a photo sharing app or your Facebook account or your email account. So all of these things that you might want to pass on, they can just get lost if there's not some kind of plan in place for someone to be able to access them. Got it. So um, we're kind of seeing how we need lists of different things and collection of information. Uh, Do you recommend that this all goes into one document or do we need separate documentation for, you know, these physical assets and then digital assets, or can this all be combined into one sort of cohesive document? I I usually, you can have it in one cohesive document and actually we can provide in the show notes, I have templates for these things. So a template of the list of the inventory of your assets, your non-digital assets, and then also a template for your digital assets that lists the common types of accounts that that might be helpful for people to have. Okay, great. And then do these pieces of documentation, um, do they need to be notarized or is it just enough to complete them? And as we've talked about, put them somewhere that someone knows about. Yeah, so it doesn't need to be notarized. It's really just making sure that somebody who you're, I think of it as your emergency contact person, right? Would kind of be taking charge and taking care of all of these things that you would want them to to know what was there. And and I will say something else about certain uh digital assets like uh like I said like a, your email account or Facebook account, uh photo sharing apps, you don't actually own anything in that context. You have a license to use that service. You don't own anything. And that service that license is personal to you meaning that you usually in the terms, this is you cannot transfer that. So even if you said in your will, I leave my photo sharing app account to so-and-so, if they don't have your password to that, that, that it really doesn't mean anything. Um, so, you know, we're really at a bit of a loss in terms of how exactly we transfer these things. But right now, kind of the only way to make sure somebody is able to access those is for them to have your password, your login information. Okay, that makes sense. So it's good that we're covering all these details because I think that's so easy to overlook. Um, Another area we want to make sure people understand is about beneficiary designations because those can trump your legal documents. So what do we need to understand sort of beyond the essentials we've already talked about? Sure. So like you mentioned, the beneficiary designations are really important because they can override everything else. So even if you have a will, a trust, whatever it is, and you have it very laid out as to what goes where, if you have a retirement account or life insurance policy that was, say, left to a a former girlfriend or a former boyfriend or something like that, your family could be out of luck. That's going to trump your will. It's leaving everything to your spouse or your kids. So mostly, you know, people, your family is not going to be super happy if they find out that like you left your million dollar life insurance policy. Yeah. To someone, you know, who's totally not involved and you you may not have, you know, seen for a very long time, or you could have left it to a a family member who, you know, you left it to before you got married and had kids. So it's really important to make sure that those things are all up to date and integrated into your plan. So your lawyer should really work with you in terms of 
what those beneficiary designations should be. Should they leave it to your estate? Should they leave it? Should it be left to an individual? Should it be left to a trust? So you want to make sure that all of that is integrated into your overall plan. Yeah, especially as parents, we want to make sure that what we have generally would go to our children to support them if in this worst case scenario, we're no longer in the picture. So how horrible would that be? I mean, I don't know what we will know or be aware of when we're on the other side of things. Um, But to not feel that comfort that we know things are going to the right place, it's, yeah, it's really important that you're looking at all those pieces. So I'm glad we're reminding people about that. Um, And especially for our parents, um, let's get into guardianship a little bit, which I never love talking about this particular topic, Um, but we've addressed the legal aspects of guardianship. You know, we've talked about how that shows up in the estate plan, but you've also suggested that letters are written to the person or people who will be your children's guardian. So can you share with us just a little bit more about that recommendation? Sure. So your legal documents say who takes care of your kids, who has legal custody of them. And it says where the assets go and maybe what they are held until the kids are, you know, then the kids get access to them at a certain age. Um, But it doesn't have any information in there generally about how you would want your children raised. And to be honest, it's actually, you can't legally bind a guardian to do certain things. So, um, so it's not really an appropriate topic necessarily for a will or a trust, um, but it is really important nevertheless. So especially I, I tell clients, you kind of start with the most important things of like keeping your children like healthy and alive. So very basic things, medications, allergies, pediatricians, dentists, things like that, that are just, even if you just left your child with somebody for a long period of time and you were going on vacation, say, you would want them to have. So kind of we'd start with those basic things. And then I say, if you can, you know, this can be intimidating, but to, you can also add on sort of more values-based guidance. So that is, how are you generally with your children? Like, are you you really emotionally expressive with them? Are you, you know, sort of, do they like to be hugged a lot? Do they like a particular bedtime story? And then as well, any kind of family traditions, religious traditions that you might want them raised with, um, along with what type of schooling. So things that important decisions that you would make as a parent or as, you know, if somebody was kind of acting on your behalf, how you would want that person to raise your children. Yeah, not not a fun letter to have to write and hopefully one we never really ultimately. Hard. It's really hard. So that's why I tell clients like start with the like very practical things. Yeah. And then, you know, if you can want to go back and circle back and kind of put in some more values-based things, then um you know, then I encourage you to do that, but at least get the practical things down. Yeah. You don't think about worry about like it has to be perfect because I think it's just too daunting to to try to put something that's like perfect in there. Absolutely. Are there any other letters that we would want to write as part of sort of beyond the legal documents? Um yeah. So I usually also recommend that clients write a letter to um the trustee or whoever would be managing the money for the child. And that would be information um, as with respect to how you would want the money to be used. In most cases, uh, if we're a trust, we don't we don't 
specify or restrict the trustee's ability to use the money as long as the money is being used for the children. We kind of leave it up to the trustee's discretion, who is somebody obviously we trust to take on that role. Um, but I generally don't recommend that you restrict that person's discretion legally, meaning that a certain amount has to be used for college because we're writing these things often for a very long time in the future, meaning that we don't know what the situation is going to be at that time. Things can intervene. You know, you may have a child who is just doesn't happen to be good academically and they really want to go to culinary school or, or maybe a child gets into an accident and has a brain injury, you know, then college maybe just isn't really an option for them. And you wouldn't want your child to be penalized for something like that. So the letter to the trustee is a great place to put that guidance as to what you would want the trustee to use the money for. But they wouldn't be, their hands wouldn't be tied if things didn't turn out how you would see them turning out. Yeah. And once you have all these, these pieces, these extras together, the, the lists and the clarifications and the letters, where do they go? And what are the final steps to make sure that everything really can be executed as you intend that are in your legal documents if and when you need them? Yeah. So I generally have my clients keep everything in one place. So maybe like in a three ring binder is a great place. And then they can add things like the letter to the guardian or even just practical things that they feel like is important. Uh, like passport, copies of passports or birth certificates, things like that. They can just add those in there. I also recommend having those a copy of those documents available to your emergency contact person, the person who is going to be practically, as a practical matter, trying to get all of this in order. Usually the easiest way to do that is to provide electronic copies. So you would have uh, PDF versions of these documents. Usually your lawyer will provide you with a, a copy of those, an electronic copy or else you can scan them in yourself. And then usually the easiest way is to create like a Dropbox folder or a Google Drive folder and then share the access with that to that folder with your emergency contact. And that way you also, once you are, if you say you need to update those documents, you can just update them and that person will always have the most recent version. Oh, I love that. That's such a good idea. I'm, I'm going to work on that. <laughs> So this has been really helpful, I think, to really understand what you need to do beyond those legal documents that we've spent time in other episodes talking about. So what would maybe be a takeaway or two that you really want our listeners to understand after our conversation today? That your estate plan isn't just a set of documents. It's really a plan. You think of it as like an emergency plan. And you want to sort of put yourself in a position of, okay, what would somebody need if they needed to kind of pick everything up? Because unfortunately. And this is just such a such, I can't even tell you how common this problem is of people just having no idea, just loved ones who are left behind, who have no idea what assets um, someone had or, or where to find them. So this is just a really, really important piece of your overall planning. Absolutely. I mean, I think even as a young parent, you think you're not going to need all those pieces. So sometimes you get kind of the bare minimum done. You take care of those legal documents and think, well, that's that's good enough. I'm fine. But yeah, I mean, you've really painted a picture of why we need those extra pieces. 
I just wanted to add one more thing because, you know, obviously if there's just one parent, then there's a, a certain issue of who, who is going to take on that role um, or if both parents passed away. But also if you are married, make sure that both spouses know what you have. Because I have seen cases where the surviving spouse, unfortunately, a lot of times it's the the, the mother, does wasn't involved in the finances, and then she could really be in a, a difficult situation. One, you know, not knowing what there was life insurance, it just makes a really difficult time all, all that much harder. So, in addition to kind of having your own documents, your own plan, make sure that whoever you're planning with that, you know, be proactive about that and knowing what the plan is financially, if something were to happen to your partner. Another, another great point about a very uh, tough subject that we don't really want to have to think about. So as always, Shannon, thank you so much for making kind of this, this tough information feel a little bit easier. Thanks, Sarah. It was great being here. To learn more about rounding out your estate plan and to read more legal and financial planning advice, or to join our free community, visit us at thesavvyparent.us.